Welcome to Sira, meaning her story in Arabic. This is a series of honest and inspiring tales from the most influential women in the Arab world. Raw and unapologetic. In this podcast, you won't just hear stories of women who have broken the glass ceiling. They've smashed it and rebuilt it on their terms. Each of their stories is different, but they all have one thing in common. They're using their success to shape a brighter future for generations to come, a future of empowerment and freedom. So let's get started. I'm your host, Amina Tahar, and thank you, shukran, for listening. Today, I have with me Rima Asi, senior partner at McKinsey & Company, leading the Abu Dhabi office in her capacity as advisor to leaders, policymakers, and government on transformational fiscal management programs for sustainable economic growth in the region. Well, wow, that sounded a mouthful, but on top of all that, she's a single mom with two kids. Rima, welcome. Thank you. When I look at consultants um, and I, I talk to friends who are consultants, they don't have work-life balance. You've got two kids. How old are they? And do you have a work-life balance? So I try. My son is eight and my daughter is six. Uh, this is the type of questions everybody asks me about. And in my life, what I've tried to do is uh, a few things. One is set clear boundaries. What is acceptable for me and what is not? And stick to them. Uh, but also make the time matters. When I'm with my kids, I'm with them. I'm with them fully. I'm with them 100%. Nothing disturbed us. And the third thing is leverage technology so when I'm not with them, I can connect with them. Um, I'll give you an example on boundaries. I used to travel a lot. And at some point, I felt that was coming along the way and I was not allowing me to be the mother I wanted to be for my children. I made a choice and I stopped. And everybody told me at the time I'm crazy. Well, it didn't look like I'm crazy now because I still made it despite a massive change in my career. Um, but also it meant that there are certain events that I would never not attend. I would be there for my kids at moments when they need me to, at school, with parent teachers, with Mother's Day. These I would not miss for the world. But then I would not have guilt trips if I miss another alternative event. You know, you can't be and you can't compare yourself to everything everywhere and be the 150% across dimensions. But just figure out what truly matters to you and stick to it would be my advice to mothers. So what truly matters to you? I want to be a real mother. I, I believe I have to be important. I have to help shape my kids and help them grow and help them be uh, very independent people that are that uh, care about that have the same human uh, qualities that i believe is important that are able to make decisions that are right and wrong this is and that are happy you get mind blown by by their maturity at such a young age yes i totally agree and by their ability to be wise and to manipulate you as a mother as well How do they manipulate you? Oh, I'm sure every parent can tell you stories, but uh, I think my daughter is one of the man most manipulative children I've ever met. She would, uh, she would negotiate everything. Does she get it from you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Possible. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel it's difficult being a single mom in this part of the world or in general? Um... 
I feel the the things that um, I think on the day-to-day life, not really, uh, because actually this part of the world helps by providing a lot of support and services. Uh, I think maybe sometimes the social acceptance is still not there. Uh, but uh, and so so you may not be as open about this topic as um, as you would expect it or as you would you know you, others may not find it as normal. Uh, I think the most important for me is that my children actually do not feel uncomfortable because of that. We are, we luckily have a great relationship with their father and they see him quite often. So I'm hoping their emotional stability and equilibrium is maintained oh great i'm a single mom as well so maybe we can blind date together at some point would love to <laughs> um so you're lebanese you grew up most of your time in in beirut tell us a little bit about your childhood oh i grew up in a very small town when i sometimes think about where i grew up and where i am i would say wow right i grew up in a small town of 250,000 inhabitants Um, where a lot of the uh, women actually, uh, some, um, all of them went to um, graduate schools because in Lebanon, education is highly rewarded and highly encouraged, but quite a lot didn't. And a lot of them were actually have the high aspirations to just get married and have and raise families. Uh, so I'm a bit of an awkward outlier in the sense that Uh, I traveled when I was 20. I lived in France by myself. I studied, I graduated, and I worked there. And then I came to Dubai. And I was um, I was here at a young age, uh, joining a firm, uh, joining McKinsey, actually, and starting my career life again after having worked in France. Uh, so it is a bit of an unusual path if you ask my families, if you ask my cousins, and if you see where they are and my friends, etc. Uh, my upbringing was actually in a very protected environment, despite what people would imagine about Lebanon. Uh, it's a very conservative society. It's a very protected society. It also allowed me to have the most amazing uh, memories of a childhood that was very safe and protected. And in retrospect, I hope my children will have a similar one. Uh, on the flip side, it wasn't a very exposed upbringing. I grew up in, in a society where there was one model to be a person, to be a successful girl, a successful woman. And so breaking those boundaries required, I would guess, a bit more courage than uh, other societies because there weren't many role models. There weren't many paths in front of me where it was very natural to to leave and to go and to travel, to live by yourself and, uh, you talk and so a, on. You talk a lot about uh, diversity and inclusion, but more in inclusion. So I, I want to know your thinking behind that. But I also want to know uh, if you've got any she heroes uh, growing up and today. So uh, my I grew up in a family where my mother worked. My mother herself was a PhD at a time where that was quite unusual. And she was a teacher at university in an environment where women did not work. So for me, this, the standard was already set since I was a kid. Uh, but then over time, you realize that there's so many qualities in people and attributes that are quite diverse and that inspired me, that are not necessarily in one person. Uh, 
And I see that in many places. I see the courage in certain women to stand up for what they believe is right. I feel uh, the, 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 beyond the courage, the perseverance of certain women to fight for what they want are qualities that I highly admire. I hope I would have them at some point. I, I hope I would have the courage and the effort and the energy to, to deliver something similar. Uh, I think I've got it easy in retrospect when I think about my career, my trajectory. Um, but, uh, but that you asked me another question that I forgot. Role models. Look, I, I don't have one necessarily throughout my life. I don't know if you've seen the story of RBG, the, the judge. I found that um, woman fabulous. And what I found fabulous about her is how she actually, despite all odds, set new standards by her action, by her perseverance and effort throughout her life that opened the door to generations of women. What I like about this story is that if men or women, we look around us and say, this is what others have done and therefore this is what I can do, we don't evolve and advance. Absolutely. We should never look around only for role model. We should look for the sky and set our aspiration. And that's what I found amazing about her. She worked hard. She had children. She never took no for an answer. And with a very humble, respectful attitude that wasn't aggressive, but yet so smart and so precise. What do you regret in life? Honestly, nothing. I, um, nothing really. I think every uh, experience, even the most painful one, brings a lot of learning, makes you stronger if you go through it full-heartedly. Some experience can be very, very challenging and very tough, but... Um, if I reflect at my life now, I feel I'm a much more mature, maybe more aware person. I'm grateful for any experience I've had throughout my trajectory, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All of them were learning experiences. So this is the first time I see you. Um, and, and for the listeners who haven't seen you, uh, maybe now they'll Google and stalk you like I did before meeting you. Um, you're very natural. You don't wear makeup. Uh, your cheeks are so rosy. I don't know if it's from the questions or it's naturally rosy. Um, and, and I see this very nice uh, circular gold necklace. Does it have a story? Um, it's offered to me by my children and I love it. And that's why I wear it quite often. I um, I actually uh, don't do makeup at all. That's true. I just put cream on my face, just basic. And uh, it's so funny how these things happen because now my daughter also puts cream on her face because she wants to do like mommy. But she doesn't understand the concept of makeup too much because, of course, she doesn't see it. Um, I uh, I This necklace I wear very, very often. The thing is, whoever knows me realize I don't change too much attire, bags, necklaces, watches, etc. Just because it's the what is easy and convenient gets repeated. Um, so yes, this is uh, special to me. It was offered to me by my children for my birthday. It's beautiful. Thank you. How do you think others see you? Um, so uh, professionally. 
when I talk uh, to my teams and my colleagues, they see me as uh, somebody who's very demanding, apparently. I've discovered that recently. Uh, but who's also very understanding. Uh, my uh, children see me as a funny mom, apparently. That's what their friends tell them. So clearly I try to uh, compensate at home and have a very, quite different personality. Um, my parents see me as a rebellious chill, a child. My sister and brother see me as a very... Trust, not trusted, like I'm their oldest sister that on which they can count on. And uh, that is always the voice of reason, even when they don't want to hear it. Yeah, it's a good cool. kind of... Uh, I guess it's common for the eldest child. Looking at all your stakeholders, <laughs> you're putting your consultancy hat here with Maybe. Uh, you shared with us um, your childhood uh, and your beautiful uh, memories in your town in Lebanon, and you said your family see you or describe you as being rebellious. I don't see that. Tell us more. <laughs> I don't see it neither. <laughs> they saw it. I guess it's all relative in life. Um, Were you naughty in school? Not at all. I was an excellent student, actually. I just, uh, I just did not go by the model my parents wanted me to, right? I think I don't think they wanted or wished for me to leave Lebanon. I don't think they wanted or wished for me uh, to uh, to have a career life that was very demanding. Uh, sometimes they don't understand it and uh, they feel that um, I could uh, spend more time at home. Uh, they don't understand that I delegate a lot to my nanny. They don't understand that. Uh, so there's a lot of things about how I live that is a bit unusual to them. And of course, they found it very hard to admit that I'm a single mother now. So there's a lot of choices throughout my life that were um, not the most uh, natural for them. And they had to, unfortunately, live by my choices. So I thank them a lot for their support over the years and their understanding, but that also came with a lot of challenges to them. Um, for a lot of people that, I mean, you know, this uh, idea of uh, are you rebellious or not is all a matter of relativity. Uh, it depends on the perspective of the person who's around you and where do, what do they consider normal versus not. Uh, Rima, you work a lot with uh, UAE government entities, uh, but inside McKinsey, do you have uh, a good representation of Emiratis? Not as much as we would want to. This is another topic where we're working hard and we are not where we need to be. Uh, I was having exactly that same discussion with many of our colleagues inside McKinsey, but also our clients, as to giving back to this society is good, but actually the real thing is having Emirati people part of our uh, consultant pool that grow within the firm and learn and develop within that. Uh, but this is a challenge in reality, and we're not happy with where we are, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, and therefore, that's why we've launched a program called Qiyada. Qiyada for emerging leaders is for uh, young Emirati talent that are in their early career and are, have, are playing a leadership position. And the reasons why we're doing this program is we've realized that Emiratis are flooded by trainings. 
but they're purely functional technical trainings. And what would be so important and helpful is to complement this with the leadership capabilities that will make them remarkable. And this country needs that. And so we've launched that program. The idea is to attract 20 Emirati talent every year and take them through our best models of how do you actually uh, help a leader grow their capabilities. When you say 20, um, how do you split it in terms of males and females? Actually, it's definitely a diverse program. We're going to try to have half-half. Because the representation of McKinsey on the top uh, table, you've got only two women. Senior partners in the Middle East, yeah. Of course, this is a very important priority for us. We're not claiming that we've achieved our targets. We're a far, we're a long way to go. When I joined the firm in 2006, we were three women in the Middle East. We're now 220. Out of? You have to Uh, give me context. uh, No, no, uh, out of uh, 600. Right, Still not a good amount. Of course, of course. And we do realize we have a long way to go. I know these things don't change overnight. And, uh, and we have to do a lot. So we believe in recruiting. There's no reason why we wouldn't recruit half-half. But then beyond that, how do we retain our women? You know, we have a challenging uh, and demanding professional career. And a lot of our women leave after a few years. And that's our biggest problem and our loss. You know, the most challenging and sometimes um, you can say discouraging thing about gender diversity is that there's no one silver bullet. You have to do 20 different interventions and stay at it and continue for it to make a change because this is not, it's a cultural change. It's for women to actually want to do this job. It's for their families to encourage them. It's uh, for our policies to accompany them and to continuously evolve. So that takes time. I'm encouraged by what we see. If I look at the 10-year horizon, if I look every year, um, I feel like crying. And I want to go back uh, when we had a conversation about your work and you said you wanted to do less traveling. Uh, Did that impact uh, the career ladder um, and your leadership role? Oh, for sure. That was a very big decision. It was uh, uncharted territory. We are in an environment where majority of our, I mean, all my colleagues travel. And I used to. And therefore, when, uh, when I had those discussions with my colleagues, I had a lot of support in the sense that, yes, we understand it's difficult. And yes, we are, of course, willing to help and support. But of course, I had to make it work. So it was a very risky career move at a time where I wasn't a senior partner. So that was uh, that was going to probably jeopardize it. As women, we always have to make those trade-offs and we can kid ourselves and believe that everything is as easy as for men. It is not. And uh, some of us have to make big trade-offs and big challenges and big decisions. But all of us have to make small trade-offs every day. So we're launching a power of pa- power of parity report in the Middle East that actually talks about the challenges women face uh, in the work environment. And I know this topic, you know, have been beaten to death. And the reality, every time we look at it, there are further and further insights. Uh, 80% of uh, women uh, face um, 
mini aggressions, we call them on a day to day, which is uncomfortable remark, which is uh, unnecessary uh, comment. Harassment. It, it doesn't have to go as harsh as a harassment. Uh, it's uh, being confused with a more junior person. It's being confused with a secretary and an assistant while you're a manager. It's it's not it's not necessary harassment, but it's many aggressions that belittle the person and make her feel less confident. And if you actually are not aware on an ongoing basis that these things happen and can rise yourself ahead of them, you do go into a negative spiral circle and feel less confident and have less support and end up actually making decisions to exit the workplace. And we see, unfortunately, these trajectories so much, and we talk about them so much, and our male colleagues are now bored to hear us. But you know what I say to those male colleagues? We're also bored to say the same message. Uh, The day we feel we don't have to talk about it is the day where things have cleared where the market is equally supportive. And we're also tired to talk about them. I am tired to talk about women diversity and gender parity and inclusion in the workspace year after year after year. The problem is this takes long. And unfortunately, we have to all be bored before it becomes a new normal. And throughout your uh, career, Is there any particular moment that you felt uncomfortable or disappointed? And how did you change that? Oh, for sure. I I, I think uh, there were many small incidents. I think these microaggressions are so true. Because, of course, many of us face traumatic experience. But let's, but I would say all of us face microaggressions. And the microaggressions are the most insidious Because if you're not aware of that, these are the ones that can mine you and can actually demotivate you. And I did, of course, many, many, many times. Um, I'll give you an example that's a bit funny. I was a manager of an engagement and I was very proud of myself. At that time, I felt I've achieved a lot. That was like 10 years ago, but still. And I was... um, we had a workshop and the, the, my main counterpart client arrived and gave me his parking ticket and told me this needs to be stamped. And I felt, oh my God, why? I mean, he wouldn't have done that with a male colleague. And you know, at these moments, these things can either put you down and make you demotivated and not allow you to be as confident in a workshop that you are facilitating and you're the main person. Or actually, sometimes you can just realize, okay, that person didn't mean it. It's all their stereotypes in their head that just led this action to happen. But you need to have that reaction and unfortunately it doesn't always happen. Thank God that day I told them, well, I'm not the secretary, please talk to the hotel reception. Nice, good for you. But I mean, honestly, I could have not, right? It just, these things do, do, do happen so much. And um, yeah. I had an incident that really bothered me is uh, we were in a serious uh, meeting with the executives um, and one of the executives looked at my shoes. It was pink and he said, nice pink shoes. Things like this, the perception or the way you treat women in the workforce has to be with respect and and what we bring uh, and we complete each other. You mentioned that us as women need to trade off 
I'm going to ask you a question before I answer that. You're being a consultant with me, but it's okay, <laughs> you can ask. <laughs> Look, uh, how much do you do at home in addition to all your responsibilities in the workplace? Not enough. Not enough? Not enough. But you do a lot? Yes. Okay. How much do you think a male colleague does at home? compared to their professional responsibilities. Look, I mean, I'm, you don't have to answer. Studies show that women do 90% of any personal responsibilities they have at home in addition to everything they do at work. This is a significant culture change. This is not professional. Uh, this is not the only the professional environment that has to change. This is our society that has to change. And until that happens, trade-offs, unfortunately, are part of our life. Of course, the business environment is advancing, but alone that will not make the whole thing. You know, in the UAE, the women labor force participation is the lowest in the world. I didn't know that. Yes, it wow, is. I didn't know that. It is around... Less than 25%, I don't know the exact number, it's less than 25%. The global average in the, is in the 45 to 50. So it's the our culture, our societal traditions assume and expect the woman, the mother, the daughter, the sister to be a very active contributor to family life. And... Our culture, society also is very active. Let's not kid ourselves. So you have to be a, a successful professional. You have to be a great mother. You have to be an amazing cook. You have to be a great host. You have to be the most caring daughter. You have to be the present sister. You have to be the cousin. So unfortunately, we put so much burden on our women. Our society does. And this is so inflicted and we actually perpetuate this because we continue that uh, journey. So it's a challenge. I don't think, unfortunately, those trade-offs will change anytime. We have to be willing to actually not be perfect across the board. And it goes back to your point of setting boundaries. 100% and accepting. Accepting not to be perfect across the board. I am okay. I'm a very bad cook. I love good cuisine, but I'm a very bad cook. I accepted the fact that I'm not the one cooking the food for my children. This is against our traditions, our culture, our habits, but that's okay. So you're a bad cook, and I'm quoting you, but uh, beside that, what do you want to be better at? Oh, look, I want to be uh, in better physical health. Uh, I, uh, I do uh, annual checkup, and I've realized lately that I'm aging. And, uh, I don't see it. Yeah, well, okay. well, you know, I want to feel eternally young, but the reality is uh, the, the big realization is that I have to take care of my physical well-being. And it's for me, it's for my uh, future years. Uh, and it actually gives me far more balance because physical health, mental health are our own requirements and actually what we owe ourselves. What's next for you in terms of uh, your ambitions? You know, one thing that actually that's interesting. The one thing I actually realized that uh, lately is it is okay not to control everything. It is okay to let go. It is okay to face difficult time. And uh, therefore, when you tell me what do I want to uh, become next, the reality is I don't know 
and I don't care. It's uh, I've I've come to the realization is that I do the best I can at each point in time. I do the best with the information I have, with my best will, with my uh, with my values, with my energy, and uh, and uh, come what may. And that gives me so much more happiness and satisfaction and serenity. Who would you nominate as the woman of the year from the UAE? This is a tricky question. Everything is tricky, Rima, today. Because I know a, to lot be of, honest and raw. a lot of amazingly Yalla. inspiring women in the UAE that I see very frequently. I think I'm going to nominate one that I actually have not met and I don't know. And she's the pilot, Aisha Mansouri. I find what she's done phenomenal. And I wish I get to meet her. If you can arrange for that, I would love done. it. As long as you don't <laughs> feed me, I'm happy. <laughs> Even if I get good food. <laughs> It's debatable. We'll have it offline. Uh, Rima, shukran. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Shukran. If you've enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, can you please subscribe to Sira on your favorite podcast app or just go to thenational.ae and please, please, please rate us and review our podcast as it helps us boost up the charts and means more people will find out and hear the beautiful stories about these women. This podcast was produced by Aisha Khan, Erika Al-Qarshi, and Arthur Edison. I have been your host, Amina Tahar.